Father, yeah. we just thank you, whether it's on podcasts or translation or direct, you want to minister into our hearts and into our lives. And we open ourselves to you today. That the fire of God fills. That the word of God divide us. Let the spirit of God infuse us. Lord, we are crying out to you today because we know you have good plans for us and plans to bless us and to make us blessing. So, Father, we are here this morning for you to change some things, to sharpen us ready, to cause us to move in step with you, to remove some obstacles, to receive the grace we need. Lord, that none of this become a law or religion in our lives, but we want to draw from you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So for the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at um, it's the parable of the persistent widow and the unrighteous judge. Those are the two main characters, although there's a third character involved, uh, the enemy. But listen to the last couple of weeks' podcasts for that. But let's just read it together because it's our touchstone scripture for this series. So Luke 18. Uh, starting at verse 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't come and wear me out. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? There's a a central theme, I'll just give you a quick recap. There's one major truth that's being revealed in this parable. A parable is just something that's an everyday story with a hidden meaning. It's a hidden meaning that we're supposed to think about, consider, and get hold of ourselves. It's not so deep. You don't have to be a theologian to get hold of it. It's something simple that God wants to get across. Yeah? So that major key is already in those scriptures, verse 1, that we should always pray and not give up. So then as we look at this, uh, we saw the very first week, this parable is a metaphor. In other words, it shows something similar that is not the same as. That's really key that we understand that. In everything that we are reading, this is not what God is like. He is not an unjust judge that you have to batter on heaven to get an answer. But he is the just judge who acts swiftly to see his people get justice. That was two weeks ago. And then we saw that the widow, we're not like the widow, we're not alone, we're not powerless, we're not without help. 
But when we pray, we come based upon relationship to the God who's the just job, ju just judge, who's chosen us, who listens to us, and is already on our side, and our judge is powerful, interested, and effective. <coughs> and when we pray, we're not alone. We have an advocate that helps in heaven, Jesus, and we have an advocate who helps on the earth. And we saw that, uh, uh, that, that what that word advocate means. It means someone who stands, who helps, who's like a forensic lawyer who looks at the details. And that's what Jesus then was so keen for us to understand, that he, the counselor who was with us, you read about this in, in John, he says that I am going to the Father so that I can send another counselor. And so we see that we have a counselor in heaven, Jesus, but we also have a counselor here on the earth, the spirit of truth. This is John 14, verse 16. It says, another counselor. And in verse 18, he says, I will send you because I don't want you to be comfortless, bereaved, parentless, or fatherless. These are key scriptures for us to get a hold of. Because this is the work of the Holy Spirit as part of the legal system that God has put in place to make sure we get justice. A legal counselor in heaven and on the earth where we are. And I know quite often I keep talking about the fact is wherever I am is that place that coincides. Heaven and earth coincide. So I don't want to get into that today because that's going to distract me from uh, this morning's sermon. But we have a counselor in heaven and we have this counselor on the earth. Someone who's an expert. And in Genesis chapter 1 verse 2, is we read that the Spirit of God was hovering over the water. And I just wanted to just uh, look at that, because we read that the earth was void and without form. It was in chaos. And the Spirit was hovering, ready to work. And God spoke, and things changed. The Spirit took the word, brought life into being. Then, and, and when it speaks in uh, Genesis uh, 2, and it says that God breathed into the man, he breathed into mud that had been fashioned. He had, God had made man a living being, but it was only when the breath, when the spirit, the Ruach, comes into man that he is alive. Yeah? And, uh, you know, physical death is the separation of the human spirit from your body. You don't get a new body, you don't get a new set of clothing, a new body. But you are a spirit and you have a soul. You have an eternal spirit. So God 
is going to be constantly working with you to help you understand that you are not without comfort, you are not bereaved, as in uh, everything's dying and dead around you, that he will bring life to it. You're not parentless, trying to work out what to do without any wisdom on how to live life out. And you're not fatherless, which is about actually standing uh, with rights. So the Holy Spirit is the one who's the expert at bringing chaos into order. That is what a courtroom does. In a courtroom, charges, debts, you know, you go to, you go to court to get a counter-court judgment, to get a court, uh, to get a debt enforced. Well, there are some things that God wants to enforce in people's lives of a positive nature. Jesus came that you might have life, and life to the full. That's where it speaks in John, John 10, verse 10, the thief always comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So he always wants to take. He always wants to attack. He never wants to give, because he's the devil. He, that's his nature. And it's important for us to understand that. So in contrast to the Holy Spirit who brings order, the devil always brings disorder. And John 18, verse 44 and verse 45, he says that he was a murderer from the beginning. He's a murderer from the beginning. He's a slanderer. He, he, there's no truth. He's not holding to the truth. There's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language because he is a liar and the father of lies. That is why God is always accused by the devil of being the one who takes life and takes our loved ones. You need to hear that is a complete, total lie. God is not a murderer, but the giver of life. He never takes life. The one who takes life is the thief. God gives life. The devil takes life. And when you accuse God of taking your loved ones, you are agreeing with the devil who is the accuser. Now, it is hard when people have babies that die or miscarriages. That is incredibly harsh and hard. It's horrible. And we've known that in this church. We've, we've had, we've cried with those that have, have lost loved ones. But we understand and we know that that is not God's plan. God gave man life and warned him not to touch certain things. 
Those were the things that were going to kill him, rob him of life. And what happens? The devil came and lied and said to us, if you will touch, if you will do those things, you will not just be like God, you'll be God. And that's the lie that we always think. It's somehow, if we will do those things, we will get. If we will enjoy sex outside of marriage, we'll be more fulfilled than being faithful to the husband or wife or waiting for the husband or wife. You know, the reality is, God has someone for every single one of us. It is a rare gift of God that you would enjoy life on your own. To some that's given, but that's a gift of God, not normal. It's a gift. And some of you have received that, I get that. But for the rest, God, young people, teenagers particularly, those that are a little bit longer in the tooth, God has a help me, a help mate, someone who is your equal in the spirit, ready for you if you will just allow God the time to get them fully ready and you the time to be fully ready to receive that person. It is a faith issue. Do you believe God or will you take matters into your own hands? And then, having received someone, will you remain faithful, believing that God can make your physical, spiritual, emotional, intellectual relationship the most life-giving thing that you could possibly have in a relationship. Again, that is a faith thing. Karen and I have been married 30 years. But there are people here who have been married longer than us. That is to be celebrated. But we haven't survived one another. We enjoy one another. (laughs) (laughs) Unlike me, Claire did wait. I got things wrong and I had to get saved in order to get a readjustment in my life. But then when I understood how big God was on my side, I then didn't want to get things wrong by living a wrong relationship with Claire. So within three uh, weeks of us going out, I think we talked about getting married and planning the future. So within three months of being actively talking to parents and stuff. God has a good plan. He has ordained, put laws in place that are actually for liberty and for freedom. The marriage can be the most exciting part of your life. But you see, Satan is a liar, and this heavenly courtroom 
is where his lies get exposed. And that's why I'm going on about this in courtroom sessions, to try and help us to understand how much the enemy hates you. I think we underestimate he absolutely, vehemently, violently, totally hates you. I can't put it, I don't even know enough words to, to put it across. There isn't an aspect of your character, nature, or future that he likes. He must, just wants to get you, no matter what the cost. Because he knows where he is going himself. And you and I have a different future in Christ. That's the whole plan of God was that you and I would not end up in the same place as the devil. Yet, we are born with a sin nature. We sin naturally. Every one of us. And every one of us needs to, at some point in time, actually decide are we going to put our trust in God's justice or are we going to run? Because if we run, we still get God's justice. It's just unfortunately what we don't want. Judgment. God has put plan of salvation, a law court judgment in place that if we were just hooking to, declares us innocent. Not just not guilty, but innocent. That's what we saw. So let's move on. <clears throat> in Zechariah chapter 3, hey, using some different scriptures. Zechariah chapter 3, it's the Old Testament. It's just before Malachi, the very last book of the so Zechariah and Malachi, the last two books of the Old Testament. In Zechariah 3, God showed Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of God, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. Can you see this courtroom? The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord, who has chosen Jerusalem, rebuke you. Is, this, is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? That's salvation. This is salvation. Can you hear it? This fire, this man has been snatched from the fire. You and me, we've been snatched from the fire. Snatched from destruction. And Joshua was dressed in filthy robes as he stood before the angel. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. And he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin and I will put fine garments on you. And then I said, put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head. You read Ephesians 6, helmet of salvation. The clean turban on his head, and they clothed him. Now I'm a, a God. Ephesians 6. 
while the angel of the Lord stood by. And the angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. This is what the Lord Almighty says. If you will walk in obedience to me and keep my requirements, then you will govern my house and have charge in my courts, and I will give you a place among those standing here. This is God's plan for every one of us. Not just a man, Alan, stood at the pulpit preaching, but every one of us, priests, dressed in robes of righteousness, who bring about the word of God into people's lives. A kingdom of priests, it says in 1 Peter. And it says in Galatians 4, so just before we go, it's new clothing you, and there's a rank and there's authority. There's a place has been given. Well, it then says in, in Galatians 4, I'm just putting these things just as a, a backup before we move into what God's going to do this morning. Uh, see, God's going to deal with someone's arthritis this morning and bring him in. Galatians 4. It says in verse, starting verse 4, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you're sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out our Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has also made you an heir. An heir, an inheritor of the house. Your rights, name, rank conferred on you. Not just believers, but there's something changes about how we are to live out our lives. Something is supposed to shift. So what is this going to do with this proverb that I started with about persevering? Well, I heard uh, recently about an organization uh, that has been chased for some unpaid bills for a photocopier company. The photocopier companies were in liquidation, and a receiver's been appointed. So, this is a situation that's legal. Uh, bills have to be proved, monies, all the rest of it have, been, uh, have to be sorted out. And so, a receiver is then appointed by the courts to go get the money from the appropriate people. Yeah? We understand that. We, we, we know how this works. Yeah? So, that business, that organization, has already proved to the administrator that it has already paid those bills. What I heard was that the director of that company was then hassling the company, the organization, for more money. So what do you think you're going to do if you're that company that's on the receiving end of that hassle. You're going to go and pay him. You're going to get stressed. 
There's his knocking on the door, he's ringing in the castle. You know, the bill's paid. So it doesn't matter how much he gives you hassle, you have confidence. If the bill's paid, the bill's paid. You're not going to give him money to go away. You're just going to laugh at him. You're going to laugh at him and go, and go on then, take you to court. I have nothing to fear. Innocence puts you in place of confidence. Yeah. Innocence is not just not being guilty. Innocence is complete confidence. No matter what is brought against you, you'll know nothing can be proved. And what happens if he even does take you to court? All you do is dig out the documents, send them to the court, and the judge goes, don't be stupid, go away, to the person that accuses you. That's the difference between us being sinners hoping that God might forgive how the bills paid, have we done things, and us knowing that the debt is paid in full by Christ. That every accusation, every comment, why would God answer your prayers? Because I'm forgiven. Yeah. Why? Could you possibly ever think that God would answer your prayers because of the blood of Jesus? The debt is paid. No accusation can stick when I plead the blood. You see, the, the blood is something I actually have to plead. I have to show the document. I have to go before the court and show this is the identity that is real. This is the bank account that shows it was paid. Here's the documents. But you don't go, Judge, would you please look at this? It really, it really is true. And you're going to go, here it is. The bank backs it. The credit card company backs the, I made the payment, or the, however you paid the payment, yeah? There is a record somewhere, and you present it, and it's clear. God is saying that to you today. And if that man begins to hassle you, you will call the police. And you will report him. You see, there's something about the law courts of heaven that needs us to stop being so passive. Not just about our innocence, but to begin to go on the offensive and actually see God's word enacted out. Not just stop hassling me, but get out. Because I'm already innocent, the bill's paid, and if you begin to hassle me, I will sue you for fraud. 
You see, it's a fraud. It is not just a lie. It's a, it's a lie, but it is a fraud for him to then claim that money. And you and I keep falling into the enemy's trap that we think we've got to go back and, res and sort everything out in order to move forward with God. It's a fraud. The payment has been paid. Innocence and released enabled to actually attack demonic stuff. You see, the woman that we read about there, it was a demonic adversary. It wasn't just an enemy. The word used actually speaks about Satan. And in Matthew 16, it speaks about a confession that brings authority. So we just turn to Matthew 16. Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say I am? It's a real simple question. Matthew 16, that's verse 7. But I'm going to start really from what happens when, Jesus, when Peter says, you're the Messiah. So Peter says, you're the Messiah. You are the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. That confession is the innocent part that enables the next part to happen. What does it say next? Blessed are you. This was revealed to you by flesh and blood. I tell you, you're Peter, little rock. And on this boulder, if you look at that, I'm going to this, because actually um, there's a play on words here, which is why so many people have got the theology wrong. And it says, on this rock, you're the Messiah. That's the rock. The confession is the rock. I will give you the keys of the kingdom. So there is authority as a result of the confession. There is an enablement by the courtroom of heaven because of the innocent declaration that you can now use the court to help you. Instead of being this court that's against you, the confession of Christ has turned that courtroom into a place that speaks on your behalf and enables you to enforce your rights as sons. Yeah, In fact, he goes, well, not only have I given you the keys, you see, you don't give little kiddies keys. You give sons, daughters, who are of stature, who have responsibility, you give them keys to the house. Don't you? See, God doesn't just say you're little kiddies in the kingdom. Daddy, daddy, daddy. No, you're supposed to be full stature sons and daughters. Because you give the keys to those you can entrust it with. God is entrusting you to use authority. Yeah, this is where the courtroom really starts to get to work for you 
not just a courtly visit from time to time. Whatever, whatever, whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. See, that's what we just did this morning. We bound some debt and we release people into freedom. Because it says, whatever you loose on the earth, well, we just loose some seed. We just loose some miracles into finances. A seed, money was placed. Isn't it funny? At the time of offering, what do we do? We put money in people's hands and say, don't put it in the offering. We say, church undertakes money. What a lie. What a lie. God is the one who puts seed in our hands to soul. That's, and can I just say that none of that came from the church's pockets. The church's bank account. What was given was from us. We're believing for some miracles. Personally, I'm going to give someone else's money away, even if I am the pastor. I am the pastor with a stewardship of the church's money, not my money to play with. You get that? So when I give away money, unless I'm giving it in the name of the church, I'm giving my money. Just, just, just in case you think. Okay? I don't play with other people's money. See, when we use this right, it says whatever you bind on the earth is bound in heaven. Demons are prevented from operating because we take authority. Now, those parts, as we just read in that scripture, the Lord says, the Lord rebukes. And there's, there's some demonic stuff that he tackles for us. That we don't have to worry about powers and principalities in heavenly places. But there's some stuff here on the earth that we have to understand. It is not a person opposing you, but it is a demonic situation. There is a spirit behind the person causing you problems. If you try to pray curses on the person, you won't get answered prayer. Okay? We don't curse people. We don't even have to curse the devil, but we don't have to rebuke the devil. We do have to um, bind his operation in people's lives. So when we pray, we need to expect some things from God. I mean, this when you when you do this, I, I'm trying to think how to put this in a nice, clean, clear way. It's, it's a little bit like putting that order with Amazon. When you place that order, why do you order through Amazon? Because you expect to get what you've ordered. When you place the order, you don't go, I wonder whether they've just stolen my money. Amazon have a particular reputation, therefore you trust it. God's reputation is significantly more. And it speaks of this in, uh, in Matthew uh, 21, verse 22. It says that we have to believe when you pray that you have received. There's no point praying and just going, oh, 
I wonder what's going to happen next. You just have to do some believing when you do the praying. Your prayer and your faith have to be linked together. In fact, it goes on further in, in Hebrews 10, 23, it's about holding fast to the faith we confess, because he who promised is faithful. And it talks about this in the, in the Philippians 4, verse 6, about presenting your prayers and petitions to God with thanksgiving. So it's not, it's not just good about praying, it's about praying with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving means, you know, I receive what I pray for. So there is something that's quite key, the rights of sons to decree or to command a thing. Job 22, verse 28, it, it speaks, it says that you shall decree a thing. That's a law court word. That's the King James Version, is decree. You will declare in the New King James, or, or you will decide a thing the NIV. Interesting. You will decree, you will prophesy it, you will command it as a law being decided. That's what a decree is. It's a, it's a, a law that's spoken out that then comes into force that the police or the angels, as, as God works with, Enforce it. Because the Bible says that you will decree these things. So you're a son. You have the authority. Therefore you have to use the authority. If you don't use the authority, you will find yourself on the receiving end of the enemy's tactics. So when you pray and you believe, it's a little bit the same as hearing from Amazon there's going to be a delivery and you don't even bother staying in to receive it. And you think, why haven't I received my parcel? Well, you didn't continue to operate on Thanksgiving. You didn't stay in the place that you could receive what was given. You understand? You know, the, the, this is why Thanksgiving is such a key. This is a, I'm talking about law court here. The judge gets very cross with people that don't turn up to court and hold you in contempt. Well, the Lord is holding some of us in contempt because we've not believed what he is about to decree. And we've not held to our own decrees and our own evidence. That's why I can say this morning, Someone's going to receive healing from our practice. God has decreed it, and you're about to receive. It didn't come as an idea from Alan. It didn't come from Pastor Alan as an idea. It came as a word from God. So that decree I put on my lips because he told me to. Do you understand? It's not that I have to, you have to stop thinking. God puts the pastor here to help you, but the pastor is nothing himself. You understand? Yeah. 
Yeah? I mean, sometimes I'm not sure we do because we walk out of here and we think it's only if the pastor lays hands on us is there a miracle going to happen. When actually the word of God was released, a court enforcement order was put in place. When we think it's not just a nice word from God, but it is a royal command with angelic beings enforcing it, you better get out of the way of God and let God do the business. So, forgiveness is a major key that blocks the delivery system. Matthew 18, starting on verse 15, says, If your brother sins, go to him. In other words, we are not to be even thinking about ourselves. We are to be thinking about the person who has offended us and caused us problems. And we are to go and make sure that he can receive the command from heaven that is about all of God's blessing being poured into his life. It's not even about us. You've got to forgive because you are forgiven. So if your brother sins, because you're forgiven, you're going to forgive. So now go to him. Should we just turn this around? My job is to enforce heaven's royal decrees and laws into place. So if I get offended, if I get upset with what's going on, then I am helping be the stumbling block. But it says if it, that it goes on again here, and if you lead your brother into repentance, it says whatever you bind on earth. Hang on a minute. I thought there was the confession. Confessing Jesus, Lord, brings about that authority. Now, leading my brother into forgiveness brings that authority too. You see, the delivery mechanism is important. Sometimes it's angelic beings. And we read about that in Daniel. The day in Daniel, um, uh, Daniel 10, verses 12 to 14, it says, the day you began to pray, the answer was sent. But the prince of Persia resisted me. What do you understand? Delivery companies sometimes get stuck in traffic. But they're still in the way. We give up praying because there's a bit of a congestion in the place. The congestion is not ours to sort out. The Lord deals with the powers and principalities in the heavenly places. We only have to tackle the stuff that's on the earth. Okay? But that's a whole different sermon. I know we've got four or five weeks to do that one. Talk about demonic forces. But the reality is, if we have to wait a little bit longer, yes, we might get a bit frustrated that the delivery was supposed to be 11 o'clock and didn't arrive till 2 o'clock. But as soon as it arrives, you almost forget as long as it's in good shape, yeah. yeah. For a little while you get aggravated. 
Now that's just, if that's the natural, how much more? Well, we have complete confidence that our Lord has commanded and called those things into place and we simply know we will receive what has been asked for. There's a confidence. There is a confidence that comes. Angelic or you and me, the decisions can delay how things happen. We can delay it through our unforgiveness. Angelic demonic activities can delay it, but it's still on the way. And then the final thing on this that I really feel is the delivery company isn't always angelic. Sometimes there's obedience required by people. Us. <laughs> 1 Kings 17, there's a widow commanded to see Elijah. Acts 5, and, or Acts 4, and, verse, and uh, Acts 5, we read about two people who were supposed to bring prophecy. One brought it with a good heart, Barnabas. <coughs> One brought it with a wrong heart, Ananias and Sapphira. And we see a different outcome. Part of God's delivery mechanism is people. Our bit is to do what he asks us. Now why am I saying about this for prayer? Because God has commanded us as a church and you as fathers and mothers and people in this church to speak and decree some things about children. Firstly, Psalm 127, children are a gift from God. Second, Exodus 26, none will be barren miscarrying the land. These are royal commands, decrees from heaven that we have to speak. But our birthing magazines are filled with every problem you can have. There is a decree of the land, and there is a decree that comes from heaven. And those two are opposed. So you and I have to decide what law we are going to see enforced on the earth. The world says your children will rebel, and the Lord says in Proverbs 22, that when you train up a child when they're young, they will not depart from his ways when they're older. And that actually goes on in Psalm 112. It says that they will be mighty in the land. So what are you speaking about the terrible twos? Or are you talking about the wonderful twos? Triumphant twos. You see, we decree, if you understand the power in your words, I don't know, I'm going on about this so much at the moment. The power in your words, you are decreeing those things that should not be. Instead of speaking, declaring, that's what we keep saying. Our children today's church, they are the leaders of their generation. They're not going to be leaders, they are. We speak about these things in this church. But I want to just take some of you as suffering from uh, depression or uh, 
mental instability, and I don't want to um, make a big deal of this, but actually God says he's not giving you a spirit of fear, but of love and power and a sound mind. And every time you speak a word of fear, you need to slap yourself and go, stop it, because I've not been given a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and sound mind. You need to decree and call into place, and those around you need to do it gently, not slap you. Do you remember? You have not got a spirit of fear. There is something to decree this morning. Even as Isaiah decreed someone's arthritis going, it's not yours. You have, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 16, been given the mind of Christ. James 1, verses 5 to 8 says, If you lack wisdom, ask, and you will receive. So you need to stop saying, I can't learn, and begin to confess, I can understand. You're not dyslexic. You have the mind of Christ. And I know that's true. These are some things we need to get aggressive in the spirit, not aggressive with people. It is a demon. There's no other way around it. A demon is lying. It's not in you. It's not in you. You'd be freaking out. Foaming at the mouth and do all the crazy things if there was a demon living in you right now. Just declare Jesus is Lord. Because no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. Okay, so there we go. Bring a sigh of relief. No demon living in you. You can listen to the mind voices. You can obsess on those things. They can rule and run your life even though you're not possessed. And it says in Isaiah 11 verse 2 that you've been given the spirit of wisdom, understanding, counsel, power, knowledge. Spirit, this is what the Holy Spirit is to you this morning. And this is why we ought not to give up but to pray.